everybody thank you for joining us for the blue report i am jamie and i'm adam we are here to cover the december blu-ray releases thank you so much for joining us you can visit our website at moviegeeksunited.com see lots of more information about the blue report our regular show movie geeks united and of course our upcoming series movie geek yearbook we got a lot of exciting things planned for 2020 and we want everybody to come along with us so thank you uh okay december what does it look like? Does it look like, is it a good month for Blu-ray releases? Uh, ho-hum? Aha. Uh-huh. That's a good question. It's a mixed bag, of course, but there's definitely some interesting things. There's things that are going to get the fans excited. That's for sure. And a couple of things that are making Blu-ray debuts that I'm excited about personally for okay. various well, that, reasons. That's enough for me. Yeah. One of which I will start at, start the show with uh, something that I'm personally invested in is uh, George Roy Hill's 1972 film adaptation of Slaughterhouse Five, the celebrated Kurt Vonnegut novel, which I have always been a fan of this film. It's about as good as you could have hoped that they could do with an adaptation of such a, a dense novel. That's not the kind of thing that normally uh, lends itself to adaptation, I wouldn't say. But mm. this is a, a great movie. It's about a guy. The plot of it is basically a uh, the story of a man who is literally unstuck in time. So he literally has no control over what part of his life he's living from one moment to the other. He he may be a, a teenager or a man in his young 20s fighting in the war, or he may be an old man on his deathbed, and he's just doomed to this existence where he just goes f- fleetingly from one moment of his life to another. The patient was a prisoner of war in Dresden when it was bombed. He claims that well over 100,000 people were burned to death in the fire, worse than Hiroshima. And since Billy was actually there, it's natural enough to assume that this has had a contributing effect on his present condition. He's ready, Doctor. You're going to sleep now, Billy. Welcome to the planet Salfamadon. It's really an interesting movie. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut actually contributed to the screenplay along oh, wow. with Stephen Geller, and it has uh, Michael Sachs plays the the main, the main character, Billy Pilgrim, and you have Eugene Roche, who turned up on All in the Family, among many other things, and Perry King and Sorrell Book, better known as Boss Hogg from the Dukes of Hazard, and Ron Liebman, of course, is always great. So, um, yeah. yeah. Valerie Perrine, right? Yes, Valerie Perrine. I was getting mm. to that, yes, who uh, generally appears nude in a lot of films of this period, and this is uh, no exception. So <laughs> for whatever that's worth, uh, it's a nice transfer. I'm told I haven't got my review copy yet, but there's a, a nice batch of new extras here. It has been exclusively restored by Aerofilms and it's presented in its aspect ratio of 1.85 to one and scanned in 4k. So, uh, you know, it's good that 
they are taking the time to release Slaughterhouse Five. And which uh, company is this? This from? is Arrow Video. Okay. So uh, they they they've been upping their game here lately. They've been doing some pretty good work, and and uh, Slaughterhouse Five is another example of it. Last month, if you recall, they did the RoboCop mm-hmm. double disc. Uh, probably the definitive issue of the 1987 RoboCop, and they're they're moving right along with uh, with this. And they did American Werewolf in London in October, I believe, did a terrific job on that. So they're really upping the game. But anyway, George um, Roy Hill, George George Roy Hill is not. Uh, you know, when you talk about the great directors of certain eras, he he he's not mentioned a lot, but mm. uh, he made some of the top tier, most popular films. And he made oddities. You know, he made one of your favorite movies, which is The World According to Garp, which is oh yes, it's an odd book, and and the and the movie honors that oddity. Hmm. Yeah, he made some really good movies. I'm a big fan of A Little Romance from 1979. With, yeah, uh, uh, that was Diane Diane Lane. Lane. Yeah. yeah, I think that was her first movie, I believe. And uh, of course, Lawrence Olivier's in that. That is a beautiful movie, just with a terrific score by. Um, Oh, the, the guy that did the scores for the uh, F- uh, Francois Truffaut films. I'm, I'm drawing Legrand? a blank. Yeah, uh, not Legrand. Um, uh, Lie? Francis? Uh, uh, not Lie. You're, you're getting close. You're in the ballpark. <laughs> uh, he won an Oscar for that. Georges well, George Delarue. That's it. You got it. My, my, my mind wasn't working fast enough. But anyway, beautiful score. And that's a great George Roy Hill film, I think. That's uh, under underseen. Mm. unfortunately but uh, and of course we all know he did the sting and butch cassidy of course you don't have to say anything else about those so he what, was his, what was his last film because the last film i remember uh that got a great reaction and a lot of press was funny farm and that's the last one really yep. 88 was his last film mm-hmm. yeah he i think he had another one that he was trying to get off the ground in the early 90s and uh, the financing fell through and he just kind of gave up at that point i think hmm. so uh yeah Never, never happened, unfortunately. But yeah, he was one of those great directors. I would have loved to have interviewed him. Oh yeah, uh, he died in t- two thousand two. So he, he yeah, went, he went fourteen the last fourteen years of his life not directing anything. Yeah, I think it was around nineteen ninety two. He was trying to get his this film that didn't come together off the ground. I, I believe it was a project for MGM. I believe, and it just didn't. I, I can't remember what the project was, but it was something, and he just didn't. It didn't. Huh. It didn't happen. Sadly. Well, another title has come out for the, and this one's a fan, uh, a release that's going to make the fans salivate, I guess, fans of this film. It's uh, Big Trouble in Little China, and it has tons of new special features. This is a two-disc special edition from Scream Factory. It has a new audio commentary with Larry Franco, the producer, a new commentary with the special effects artist Steve Johnson, all of the other Extras carry over from the previous Fox home video edition. There's new interviews with uh, James Hong and Peter uh, Dennis Dunn, Peter Kwong, and the martial arts choreographer James Liu. So there's lots of lots of stuff to embrace here on this new edition. I, again, probably the definitive edition of Big Trouble in Little China. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. It depends on how you look at the it. The hell it does. So somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. The truth? I can take it. We don't know. And uh, Screen Factory is pretty much 
filling in all the gaps on the John Carpenter library. They've pretty much issued all of them at this point. Yeah. I think except maybe ghost of Mars. I don't think that's found its way to their, <laughs> to, to them yet, but, uh, big trouble in little China is, uh, you know, it was fun watching as a kid. And then I rewatched it a year or two ago and it's, it's still, it's still fine. Uh, fine. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. It holds up. Yeah. It was, I saw it opening weekend. I remember that and, uh, pretty, I enjoyed it a lot when I saw it opening weekend, but, uh, you know, it's maybe my enthusiasm has waned a little bit, but it's, it still has its moments. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's fun enough. So, Jake Speed has been issued by Aero Video as well, the 1986 film with uh, John Hurt, Dennis Christopher, and Leon Ames and Donna Pescow. Indiana Jones, uh, one of those many Indiana Jones ripoffs. That's correct. Could could not find a decent replacement for Harrison Ford in all, any of these ripoffs. You know, whether it be now who who was uh, Wayne Crawford was Jake Speed. That's correct. And then uh, of course Richard Chamberlain was King Solomon's Mines and Alan, Qu- right. Alan Quartermain and all of that kind of stuff. I think the only movie that actually worked in that vein, and it wasn't really in that vein because it, it didn't deal with archaeology or any of that crap, but it was in the same wheelhouse. Was uh, Remo Williams, which uh, still kind of works, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I rewatched that too. And, and that worked, but, um, it, it does. Uh, I was surprised that that didn't take off as a series because, uh, you know, they had that first one, the adventure begins, but it never really, it was begun, but it never went any farther than that. So, uh, I actually have, uh, the Jake speed soundtrack on vinyl. And I think it's signed by Andrew lane. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Well, we have uh, the story of Temple Drake from oh. 1933. This is a Criterion release starring Miriam Hopkins, one of the films from the early days of Hollywood. I'm 1933. Not, yeah. I can't say I'm really familiar with the story of Temple Drake. I've heard, I've heard the title referenced, but just it's a blind spot for me. And. I'm sorry that it is, but uh, nevertheless, it's a, it's a rape and revenge film in 1933 before the American pre-code, like you said, mm-hmm. wow. based on William Faulkner's controversial novel. Interestingly, interesting enough. Those, um, those pre-code movies are the, the movies that led to more stringent kind of adherence to, you know, morality and all that kind of crap are very interesting. Like the, the early, um, Oh, I've seen some of them recently. There's stuff like, uh, oh, who's that? Who is that actress? Jean Harlow. Yeah. I've seen I've seen a couple of films where she's like the ingenue that uh, takes the man for all of his money and mm-hmm. to play, plays up the themes of sexual sin and all that kind of stuff. Oh it's, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Well, we have uh, another Criterion release while we're talking about Criterion Tunes of Glory from 1960, which is a uh, a World War II film with Alec Guinness and John Mills and Susanna York. Mm. And it must have been a really early appearance by Susanna York. And uh, it is directed by Ronald Neem, who would go on to do The Poseidon Adventure later on. It says a new transfer, nice batch of extras there. Uh, again, I don't have the list in front of me of all the extras, but um, it is a 
a new Criterion December release, Tunes of Glory, the World War II film with Alec Guinness. And The Magic Sword is released from Kino. That's a 1962 film, or also known as The Seven Curses of Lodak. And this one stars Basil Rathbone. Must have been one of his. And Basil Rathbone and Gary Lockwood. Mm. Now, when did you ever see those two appearing uh, <laughs> in a film? <laughs> it's, well, the, the, to make it even more interesting, it is directed by Bert I. Gordon. Mm. Uh, he of the Amazing Colossal Man and Empire of the Ants and Food of the Gods and many other films that we could talk about. Village of the Giants. It's a, a son of a sorceress armed with weapons, armor, and six magically summoned knights embarks on a quest to save a princess from a vengeful wizard. Um, so the 2006 film Candy with Heath Ledger, Abby Cornish, and Jeffrey Rush. This is the heroin movie, right? Uh, yes, this is the heroin film. This is uh, this was Heath Ledger right after his win for... Well, not, not his win, his... Um, he won for the Dark Knight, of course, but right after his uh, acclaim, I should say, for Brokeback Mountain. And uh, yeah, he's a, a young poet who falls in love with Candy, the title character, a beautiful young student who's attracted to his bohemian lifestyle. In order to get closer to him, she uh, falls follows in his way in the wayward steps of his drug addiction, which you know, of course, it's one of those where. Things just kind of spiral and get worse and worse and worse. It has an audio commentary with the director, Neil Armfield, and a featurette, The Path to Wild Abandon, Candy, The Path to Wild Abandon, Writing on the Wall, Candy's Poem in Motion, and the theatrical trailer. So this is a, this is a Shout Select release. When I first met Candy, birds filled the sky. Try it your way this time. That was beautiful. Does it ever embarrass you, Candy? His naked desperation. What happened to that beautiful little girl? What happened? The 1961 film Conga has been issued by Kino Lorber. This is another one of those Kong ripoff type films. This one's uh, where a giant gorilla basically runs around London. Uh, destroying stuff. Uh, I haven't seen it. I remember reading about it in reference books as a kid, but I, it just never got around to it. It has Michael Goh, who was Alfred the Butler in the Batman films from the late 80s, early 90s. And, um, you know, it has Margot Johns, Jess Conrad as well. And anyway, this is, uh, like I said, Giant Gorilla on the Loose type film, 1961, Conga. There's some some uh, extras on it here, an audio commentary. So if you're a fan of giant monsters on the loose, especially of the gorilla variety, well, Conga might be just for you. So um, there is a Phantasm Sphere collection. And I think this is from, uh, I'm trying to see who this company is. I think it's the ones who put it out. Uh, it's WellGo USA, yes. It uh, basically is a repackaging of all five of the Phantasm films, which have been were issued a couple of years ago uh, on Blu-ray, and it comes with a big sphere uh, or a, a replica of the 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 sphere with the spike in it from the yeah. films. Can it be used as a weapon? 
Yeah, I don't know. You never can tell about these sorts of things. It'd be nice. <laughs> It'd be nice if it could be lethal. I mean, that would be that would be something collectors would really want. Right. We have Camille Claudel is a 1988 release from Kino Lorber. That's a two hour and 55 minute film that um, it is um, Isabella Gianni and Gerard Depardieu. They've been pumping out the Gerard Depardieu titles I've noticed here lately. Uh, so, uh, the story of the troubled life of French sculptor Camille Claudel and her long relationship with the legendary sculptor August Rodin. Rodin. Uh, the famous, yeah, we, we we know his work, not so much hers. But anyway, um, Waterworld has been issued one more time by Arrow Video, this time with both cuts, the longer director's cut and the theatrical cut. I'm not sure it needed to be longer, but if you think that it should have been, well. I wonder how much longer luck. the director's cut is. I'm thinking about um, 20, 30 minutes, I really? believe. Is what I was reading. Yeah, it's substantial. It's not just a couple of scenes here and there. It's it's pretty substantial. Is it? This has this says it has three cuts of the film. Uh, I knew there were two, but I wasn't sure about the third. But yeah, that sounds theatrical that sounds cut, good. TV cut, and the Ulysses cut. Am I looking yeah. at the right thing? What the hell? Yeah, that's right. That's correct. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm seeing it now. You're exactly right. Man, that's super duper. It comes with a mm-hmm. like a sixty-page book. Wow. Yeah, it's a big deal. It is a big deal if you're a fan of Waterworld, and I guess there are fans of it, right? So I guess so. You know, the movie did not bomb. <clears throat> it, it, it 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 did not tank. It's not the disaster that everybody wanted it to be. No, totally agree. So the two thousand one film, uh, Satoshi. Khan's film Millennium Actress. It's an anime film. It's been restored and remastered from a 4K transfer. This is uh, the traces the career of legendary actress. I'm going to butcher this name. I know Chiyoko Fujiwara, as soon through the seen through the eyes of documentary filmmakers. She has withdrawn into retirement, and the filmmaker receives a filmmaker receives a rare opportunity to interview her about her life, and that's what the film is about, essentially. Is it a narrative film or a documentary? Yeah, it is a narrative film, but it's done in this anime style, and it's Japanese and very well reviewed. And so I haven't, again, it's one I have not seen, so I can't personally vouch for it one way or the other. But Millennium Actress from 2001, just wanted to mention that that is a Shout Factory release. And another Shout Factory anime film from 2018 it got great reviews from several major critics. Kenneth Turin was one from the Los Angeles Times who called it powerful, a stunning piece of animation. Funan, F-U-N-A-N, which is uh, the tale of a young woman in April of 1975 whose world is suddenly upended by the arrival of the Ru- uh, Khmer Rouge regime in Cambodia. So it's a war, you know, via a, a Cambodian, a film uh, from the about the seventies and the, the the crisis in Cambodia with the war and all that, and so anyway, it has uh, bonus features, interview with the director, and art gallery, storyboard, storyboard, and trailers. It's like I said, was pretty well reviewed, but kind of I didn't want it to fall through the cracks in case anybody was interested. I know we do have anime fans, so anyway, uh, I know we normally don't talk about newer films, but I do want to mention this one since it's been so prevalent in our conversations on the show. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood finally makes its home video debut on 
the 10th of December. So we're not now on the 10th of December. And 4K and Blu-ray with uh, quite a substantial batch of deleted scenes, I believe. 25 minutes or something. Something like that. Some nice featurettes. It's interesting. It's one of those packages where you, wherever you shop, you'll get a new, a different version of it. So what they're, uh, yes. what they're trying to do is they're trying to make everybody buy five copies of it that truly likes it. <laughs> because if you get it at Best Buy, you get a steel case or you know, whatever else. And then you buy it at Walmart, you get whatever else. And then online, something else. But uh, just, you know, the movie itself is reason enough to buy it. But depending oh, on yeah. which version you get, you can get these, you know, collector cards uh, oh yeah and uh all, all the, the 45 single comes in one of them or something or <laughs> yep yeah. i have seen the deleted scenes because i did buy it by the digital when it came out uh -huh. on, on the a little bit earlier and um there's a extra manson scene uh where when he leaves tate at the house he walks to the back and he talks to mm -hmm. um the the care caretaker in the back house and that goes on for about three or four minutes and then he walks back out to his i guess it's like an ice cream truck or something and brad pitt's on the ceiling and uh uh manson turns around sees brad pitt and manson makes some oogler boogler you know some weird noise Oh hey, Brad Pitt doesn't respond, and then Manson just walks away, and Brad Pitt's like, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> <laughs> but it's got, it, you know, it's got extra little. It's got some extra scenes in it. Some are more substantial than others. But there's a great conversation between DiCaprio and the actor that plays uh, Sam Wanamaker they're just riffing together and it goes on for like five, six minutes. It's just a big, com mm -hmm. a, a, just kind of a meandering conversation, but it's yeah. just great to see. They are so good. You know, it was all written, but it, the conversation feels totally improvised. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, and I would definitely recommend checking out that deleted scene in particular. Oh, good. Yeah. That's, that's exciting. I'm hoping I get a review copy. If I don't, then I'm going to spring for that one for sure. Gotta have it. Must have. So, yeah, we have the Fly Collection, a five-disc set from Scream Factory. Does it have the Vincent Price ones, too? It has all of them. Okay. Every one of them. Yeah, all three of them from the late 50s uh, and the up into the mid-60s. The first three films, of course, okay. you have the Fly, Return of the Fly, and Curse of the Fly. And then you have, of course, the the 80s, The Fly 2. and Really? I mean, The Fly and The Fly 2. So it has so, Goldblum and Stoltz. Yes, it has both. Yes, it has all. <laughs> Complete. It has new interviews with the 1986 remake producers, Mel Brooks and Stuart Kornfeld, writers Mick Garris and Ken Wheat, who wrote the sequel, composer Christopher Young and more. There's new audio commentary with David Frankham from Return of the Fly. Uh, he's an actor in the film. New audio commentary with author William Beard, who wrote the book The Artist is Monster, the Cinema of David Cronenberg. Uh, documentaries, Fly Trap, Catching a Classic in the Fly Papers, The Buzz on Hollywood's Scariest Insect, and uh, just mostly carryover extras from a lot of from the previous releases of all these films. But it's nice to have them all in one place. Yeah. And you get new transfers and... So uh, good stuff here if you're a fan of the Fly films and, and who isn't. Come on.
But what do you think the best film in that whole franchise is out of those five titles? Oh, the the Goldblum Cronenberg. I think film, so too. I think it's I think a, it's an amazing film. It, it speaks on it speaks on more than just speaks to the viewer on more than just the horror film level. Uh, you can read there's subtextual stuff going on yeah. <laughs> that you can read into it, and it's a it's an intelligently works, made film. Works as a romance. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, not not a romance like a like a meet cute kind of romance. I mean, like a love story, like a tr- yes. real love story, yeah. tragic love story. Yeah, you know, that that can match the the best of them. And who would have thought that would have come from the fly? I know, right? Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion. No compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but oh, I'm afraid. Um, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you this day. I saw it in a theater in August of 86, I remember, and yeah. just when it came out, and I was blown away completely. I remember, yeah. no, Blown Away is a different movie, but I remember <laughs> I remember the ads that Fox was taking out at that, that the, the Christmas season, holiday season, because they were combining Aliens and The Fly, mm-hmm. and because they had essentially two monster movies that were huge hits. And so they just promoted them in newspaper articles, in newspaper ads together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can still see it. Like uh, there was like an alien hand and a fly hand holding tickets or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I vaguely remember that. It's funny you bring that up. Yeah. But uh, those are, yeah, those, those uh, that, that is a really one of the better, fil- probably one of the best films of the eighties. I would say it would definitely yeah, be in the I think so top, too. top 25, top 30 at least. So, uh, until the end of the world is another criterion release. Is this the five and a half hour cut? This is the five and a half hour cut for the first time on, I think, I don't think it's been released overseas. I could be wrong about this, but this is the definitely the first domestic issue of the five and a half hour cut of until the end of the world of Mm. M vendors film from 1991 and, uh, boatload of extras here, you know, on this new transfer, of course, all the, the great stuff you would expect from Criterion. It, it won't disappoint any f- people who are interested in in getting this on a home video format, disc based format. It's great soundtrack. Now, oh yeah, T- TCM uh, aired the five and a half hour cut mm-hmm. a year or two ago. I made it through. Yeah. I made it through three hours of it. I mean, just <laughs> just because of time, uh, and I just never got back to it. But um, yeah, I. I 
you know, it's a it's an odd movie, and I don't really know if I liked it in its shorter cut, much less its longer yeah. one. But I I do love the soundtrack. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's good. And it's been so long since I saw that one, I really don't remember anything much of anything about it. So it would be Vim Vendors, also the end of violence is a really good soundtrack. Yeah, he's good at that sort of thing. So uh another Screen Factory release would be the Abominable. Actually, this one's a Shout Factory release, the Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas from 1957 <laughs> has been issued. This was one of those fifties uh, horror films that with uh, this one's directed by Val Guest and stars Forrest Tucker, Peter Cushing, and mm. Maureen O'Connell. Uh, written by Nigel Neal, who wrote a lot of those. Uh, I think this is a British based, maybe a Hammer. Even I'm not a hundred percent sure. What is it called? The Abominable. Uh, the Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas with Forrest Tucker and and botanist Peter Cushing lead an expedition to the Himalayan mountains in search of the legendary Yeti. Wow. But, uh, you know, and you got the locals telling them to stay away with the cryptic warnings and all that type of stuff. Mm. And of course the beast is alive and well, and you know, the, the expedition, the people in the expedition begin to die and that type of thing, you know, it was, uh, still- it is, it is a hammer. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. I didn't want to say with 100% certainty, but I thought that it was. And as it turns out, it is. So the Cotton Club Encore is something that I wanted to mention. The 1984 film The Cotton Club has been completely recut uh, by Francis Ford Coppola and released by Lionsgate was released a couple of years ago at a couple of film festivals. Now it makes its home de- video debut. I think the original version wasn't even quite two hours. This one's two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. And well, uh, you know, the, the thing about, uh, I mean, there was this ongoing fight between Evans and Coppola and Evans essentially said that Coppola, uh, saved him and ruined him at the same time with what he did with the cotton club. And mm-hmm. Evan's contention was always a Coppola does not know how to edit movies. <clears throat> so for example, in the cotton club, he took out all of the, or most of the musical numbers, uh, yeah. the showstoppers, including this storm. Was it, am I getting confused with New York, New York, including stormy weather, which I think was a big, mm-hmm. I can't, that's cotton club, right? Or is that New York, New York? I think so. Yeah. Sounds yeah. right. Anyway, uh, yeah, so apparently he's fixed some things that was fairly well received when he premiered it at the New York Film Festival, but he's getting in a habit now of going back and rejiggering his older movies. Yes. He's, he's a, he says he's about to do it with Godfather 3. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, I would be curious to see what he would do with that. You know, you you know, know. yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I don't know that I have a problem with the, with the, with the narrative of Godfather three, like how it flows. They're just, they're elements in it that I don't think can be cut out to make it better. Right. I think they're too embedded, but God, you know, Godfather one and two are for me, perfect movies. And I never in any moment in either of those, though those two movies just kind of wince and say, Oh God, that's bad. Godfather three is a good, is a good bordering on very good movie. But there are moments yeah. in that movie, you know, 10 minutes in that I'm wincing at and saying, oh, that's not worthy of a Godfather film. Yeah. I don't know if you could fix that. 
I agree. I agree. There's certain things that uh, it's going to be, it, it would be tough, but I, you know, as it stands, there are, you know, it's, it's a much maligned film and I never quite understood why, because there are some great, there's some stuff that I really admire about it. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it's, some, there's some stuff, you know, the whole montage at the end, the, Oh yeah. He, he, he does that kind of stuff really well. And it, it, it echoes the other Godfather films that had similar montages of mm-hmm, between, mm-hmm. between violence and the, you know, family, yeah. all that kind of stuff. There's, there's a lot of stuff in Godfather three that works and yeah, I love Pacino in it. Now I, I, I don't know if that was the right choice for Michael Corleone to make him seek redemption. I, I don't know. Um, there's different ways that you can go with that character. Mm-hmm. Maybe they chose the wrong one. I don't know. And I think, I think it does work making him more sympathetic. It does. Well, it certainly endears you more to him, but it's, it is. Um, yeah. Which doesn't, which seems like a betrayal of where they, of what, where, what they came with that character. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I don't know. Michael Corleone should have been in, in, endearing. Yes. Because he was a, uh, let's face it, he was not uh, not an endearing guy at the end of Godfather Two. We there's a Hitchcock collection moving along to the next title we have from Kino Lorber. It's uh, a Hitchcock collection that covers several of his silent films that have yet that have at this point had yet to be re- released: The Ring, The Farmer's Wife, Champagne, The Manxman, and The Skin Game. Wow. And those are all the, it's called the British International Pictures Collection, 1927 to 1931. So uh, those were several blind spots in the Alfred Hitchcock home video collection. So for people who who want a complete collection of Hitchcock films, well, you get it's getting closer to becoming a reality with those, with the release of those. Anyway, I have a couple other things here. We have another, a couple more Kino titles while we're at it. Blue Collar has been reissued. Mm. Richard Pryor, of course, Harvey Keitel, and, um, you know, Paul Schrader's film, 1978. What else do we need to say? I think most of our listeners, a lot of our listeners have seen it and are familiar with it. But Some, some people nice. still think it's Paul Schrader's best movie. Mm-hmm. It's definitely up there. You know, I had a conversation with a guy a couple of months ago. He wrote, he wrote a book. <laughs> He wrote a book about Russ Meyer and, uh, mm-hmm. and the word tits was part of the title um, <laughs> of the book. And then he wrote a book about the American labor unions as represented in cinema, which like what? <laughs> <laughs> so it just so happened that I needed to talk to him about two movies that he covered in those two different books. I he talked about mm-hmm. beyond the Valley of the dolls for Russ Meyer and um, some some uh-huh. for labor unions, and there's two totally different topics. But uh, he said, you know, out of all those labor union related films, I I, I prefer Blue Collar over all of them. Mm-hmm. Norma Ray, uh, uh, Molly Maguire's, uh, you know, uh, there are a couple of them in the seventies. Yeah, sure, it's a good movie. There's no doubt about it. And um, it's been a while since I've I've seen it, so I would like to go back and revisit that. Now I wanted to talk to Yafet Koto about Blue Collar. Oh, he's a tough about some of his other stuff. So I went on his website. He has a personal website. Do you know what that guy's into now? 
Uh, well, what isn't he into? I should say he's, he's, he's kind of a rebel rouser. Um, you, you, I don't you know. go on his website. He is obsessed with UFOs and government conspiracies and that kind of thing. Yeah. He he's into that. Yes. That's wow. one of the, the things he's that he, yeah, I, I'm actually friends with him on Facebook and I follow his posts. They're interesting if nothing else, but yeah, he's, uh, he, he can be a little cantankerous sometimes I'm told. Oh, this the straight arrow from Midnight Rudd, and you go to his website, and you're like, "Oh, that's right, he's an actor. He's actually kooky." (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow! Well, a couple other keynote titles that are interesting and worth mentioning. One is Burt Reynolds' 1985 film Stick. Oh, Stick. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a great film. That's Kino. Yeah, it is. It's a Kino release. Kino Lorber. It is, uh, as is the 1984 film Iceman, which is directed by Fred Shapizzi, which I think this is a very good movie. It's about a, it used to turn up on cable uh, when I was a kid, and it's it's a very moving film about a a caveman played by John Lone, who is unearthed all these years later and uh, trying to adapt to society after, you know, and anyway and they're of course studying him and all that sort of thing and Lindsay Krauss play is the female lead in the film ter- features a terrific score by Bruce Smeaton who did a lot of collaborating with Fred Chapezi so I uh I would recommend Iceman from from Kino um I think there's a new commentary on it Bruce Smeaton nobody yeah talks about Bruce Smeaton good composer yeah he's a, he's a good composer I think so do you remember when they tried to do a f- – many years after Get Smart had ended in 1980, they decided they were going to do a feature film. This was probably 12, 13, 14 years after the show went off the air. And they did The Nude Bomb. <laughs> what? <laughs> they did. I remember this. I remember when it came out in theaters. Yeah, it came out around – it was a summertime release. And yeah, they were actually doing a feature film um, about a decade and a half after Get Smart went off the air with Don Adams. It, Don Adams is in it. Yes, he is. Hmm. It's yeah, uh, and I think Bill Dana wrote the script. Who wrote a lot of the uh, the scripts for the original show? I think who's involved in um yeah. Okay. So it's, uh, have you yeah, seen it? So it was a feature. It wasn't a TV movie. It was a feature. No, film. no, this was a theatrical film from universal. It's called the new bomb or the nude the nude bomb. Uh. Because uh, the, I, I have not seen it actually. I just remember when it came out, but apparently the plot is that there's some sort of a, a bomb that's causing everybody's clothes to disappear, the clothing to disappear or something. And so (laughs) he has to uh, get to the bottom of it in his inimitable way. But yeah, it's Don Adams reprising his role as uh, agent 86. So it's like I said, it's a curio. So yeah, that's uh, the nude bomb from Kino. And we have a, a quite a rather, this is a scream fa- a shout factory release, Dr. Jekyll and sister Hyde from 1971. This is another one of those hammer films. We were just talking about them. This is the one where, uh, uh, I think it's Ralph Bates plays Dr. Jekyll and he comes up with a potion that turns him into a female version of himself. <laughs> wow. But, uh, I have seen this one. It's, it's interesting to say the least. But uh, I want to say there's 
I think it's Martine Beswick that plays the female version of Dr. Jekyll and you have Ralph Bates playing Dr. Jekyll. So I think it's Martine Beswick that plays sister Hyde. So anyway, for fans of hammer horror, there's another one shout factory release old joy from 2006. The Kelly Reichardt film has been issued by criterion with a new batch of extras and a new transfer. And I think this is kind of the film that put her on the map. But uh, yeah, Criterion has uh, offered that up as one of their releases for the month of December. And we also have the, this is a Shout Select. Again, Shout Select, one of their titles that they've issued from Shout Factory. And this is a box set called the Anne Bancroft Collection, which is, it's a collection of her films it's been personally curated by Mel Brooks. That's what makes it interesting. He picked the films that are in this box set. Really? And yes. So he was involved. There's eight titles and three of which have never been issued on Blu-ray in America. Uh, you have Don't Bother to Knock, where she co-starred with Marilyn Monroe from 1952, which was one of her earliest films. Maybe her debut. I'm not sure. I'm thinking it is. Uh, the Miracle Worker, of course, is an essential 1962 uh, the Pumpkin Eater from 1964, The Graduate from 1967, and it's interesting to note that this is an identical, the, it's basically the Criterion release of The Graduate has been included in this box set. So you get not only these other films, but you get also the Criterion edition of The Graduate mm. and all of its accompanying features. You have her direct, the one film she directed, Fatso from 1980. You have To Be or Not To Be, the only film she made with her husband. Mel Brooks, of course. And you have Agnes of God and 84 Charing Cross Road. Mm. These are two of her 80s films that had, had never been available on Blu-ray. And so now they are. And it comes with a 20-page booklet, tons of extras. So if you're an Anne Bancroft fan, the Anne Bancroft collection has been issued by Shout Factory as one of their Shout Select titles. Pretty nice f- collection there, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, so you have the 1980 film Inside Moves, directed by Richard Donner, mm-hmm. starring John Savage. This is the the story of man recently paralyzed, coming to terms with that. And you got um, also David Morse and Diana Scarwood in this film. Hey, can you use another hand over there? Another hand? Yeah, I can use two. <laughs> this is a movie about people who don't always fit in, but they have a dream. Well, what's your dream? I don't know. I'd like a girlfriend. And a sense of humor. And when that dream comes true, it makes them winners. Richard Donner's Inside Moves. It'll make you feel good again. And that ain't bad. Rated PG. Now playing at the Crest Westwood and in Orange County. The uh, 2019 documentary, and again, we normally don't mention recent films, but this one might have slipped through the cracks. Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice, Mm. which is, uh, I'm hearing really good things about. I have not gotten a chance to catch it yet but anyway uh, terminal velocity and playing god two more kino lorber films this uh, release uh yes they are <laughs> very good playing god hey, david david Duchovny, a surgeon who is yes. embroiled in some kind of plot or some criminal plot or something yes and then the terminal one. terminal velocity right is that it's charlie sheen in that that's the one in Christie's. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Nastasha Kinski. Oh yes, no. Kinski, right? 
Yep, she's in that one. So I did see that. I remember seeing that one theatrically and not being incredibly impressed with it. So, yeah, and I haven't seen it since. But <laughs> anyway, and another Akino Lorber release, another one of those Hollywood pictures, Touchstone, all that stuff, A Stranger Among Us mm-hmm. with Melanie Griffith. Oh, so, okay. The Amish, the Sydney Lament Amish movie. Yes, that's the one. Exactly. Stranger Among Us. You know, I always equate it with a personal story. I st- what year is that? 92? It is. Very good. Okay. So I started working at the theater and then uh, went went to projection eventually before management. And then um, I uh, that was the first film I put together was A Stranger Among Us. And I uh, put it together wrong. I mean, I didn't put the reels out of order or upside down or anything. I just thought... You, you put tape on the celluloid, a certain kind of silver tape on the celluloid to, and that gives the cue to turn down the lights. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I got those all mixed up. Like the lights came on once the movie started, <laughs> like everything, everything was backwards. <laughs> uh, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, not anymore. Well, that's true. Well, it did back then. I mean, I mean, what are you going to yeah. do now? You're going to like get the satellite trajectory. I don't know. I don't even know how they work anymore. Uh, I'm not sure either. I should take a tour of a of a projection booth and just see what goes on nowadays. I'd be curious. Yeah, I can remember one of the first things that first times I put something together in the trailer that I'd attached to the beginning of the film, and I believe it was Mr. Holland's opus mm-hmm. that the trailer broke on a Saturday night with a packed house. <laughs> so I was struggling to Ooh. get that thing put back together. Untangle it. Oh God. Yeah. That happened to us so many times. I remember opening night of a East Ventura when nature calls, the whole print fell off the platter. Oh geez. Uh, our, our projection booth was haunted for some reason, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, it, it, we used to have, there used to be a projectionist union, where they would mm-hmm. come and they'd service projectors at all the theaters across the country. I don't even know if that's required anymore. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah, sign of the times. One more Kino Lorber release, Aces Iron Eagle 3. <laughs> Need I say more? Louis Gossett Jr.? Yeah. He's, pr- <laughs> he's proud of it. I talked to Louis Gossett Jr., and, and you know, that's, yep. that's a franchise for him. It is. And, uh, it's in, in keeping with uh, his most famous role in An Officer and a Gentleman, where he, he feels mm-hmm. great duty to do honor to people serving in the military when he feels like Iron Eagle means as much to people as Officer and Gentleman in that respect. That's his take. Interesting. So the 1985 film Silver Bullet, we're mm. moving to December 17th. This is a Screen Factory release, and this is another one the fans have been clamoring for, and they've been licensing some Paramount titles Screen Factory has. And yeah. This is one of the ones produced by Dino De Laurentiis and filmed in my neck of the woods down in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm. And it has Gary Busey, of course, Corey Haim, and uh, music by guy you re- interviewed fairly recently, Jay Chataway. Yeah, I've got that score. Um, yeah. Pretty good score, too, by the way. Um, it's a new audio commentary with producer Martha De Laurentiis on the disc. There's a new interview with the actor Kent Broadhurst, a new interview with the editor Daniel Lowenthal, and uh, the rest of the extras that carry over from the previous editions. Martha De Laurentiis. Mm-hmm. So is she... Is she involved in the production or does she just speak? Yeah, she was his, at that time, she was Martha Shoemaker. 
or Schumacher. Uh, they became romantically involved and then got married. And so that's how she, uh, so she was the producer of the film. Man, and she it, looks very young. Yeah, she, she is very youthful looking. She's, um, but she was in her, I think she's probably in her late fifties at this point. She's but. 65. She looks like she's in her, in her headshot on IMDb. She looks like she's 35. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she does. She, she, she wears it well. But yeah, I didn't realize she was quite that old. I was going to say around 60, but I guess I was wrong. But yeah, they were married for quite a while uh, up until his death. So yeah. So the 2001 film Heist with Gene Hackman, Danny DeVito, and Delroy Lindo. Man, I rewatched that. I've seen that a few times. I really, yeah. I really enjoy that movie. Yeah. It's a Sony. It's one of those Sony, you know, you order it and they burn it when you uh, re- buy it. So it's one of theirs. It's filled with the David Mamet dialogue that uh, makes doesn't make practical sense, but you but either way you get the point. Like you you understand Mm -hmm. exactly what they're saying, even though it doesn't make any sense. Like uh, you know, when somebody asks, when Rockwell asks if uh, Hackman is cool, uh, like cool under pressure or something, and. And uh, Ricky J. Ricky J. says, uh, "My motherfucker's so cool. When he goes to bed, sheep count him." <laughs> <laughs> this got some great, uh, really great mammoth dialogue. And you know, I remember looking when I saw it in the theater. There's this closing gun sh- gun battle uh, that looks fake, but in actuality. It's not. I think we're accustomed to seeing gun battles in movies and it's all dramatic mm-hmm. and all this kind of crap. And he strips all that away uh, in that last scene, that last gunfight and heist. And it, it doesn't quite look, it's not as theatrical as you're used to. So it almost doesn't look convincing. And yet that's probably, mm-hmm. probably how it really feels when you're in a gun battle. I can't talk from personal experience, but. <laughs> yeah but i do i love that movie actually i think it's really good nice. and i wish that heckman would have gone out on that as opposed oh, yeah. as opposed to welcome to mooseport but you know it doesn't oh. matter it doesn't matter heist does still exists yeah and it is good you're right so we have a, another shout factory release to the devil a daughter from 1976 this one uh is a heretic priest plots to use a teenage nun in a depraved sexual pact with the forces of darkness. We have Richard Widmark, Christopher Lee, and Honor Blackman from Goldfinger uh, fame, who was better known as Pussy Galore in that film. Denim Elliott and Nastasha Kinski again. Like I said, 1976 to the devil, a daughter. Uh, we have a couple more of those uh, Sony made uh, on demand discs like uh, heist that we were talking about. There's a 30th anniversary edition of look who's talking and the cable guy has been issued together. Um, uh, no, these are separate. Okay. So, so yeah, if you want them, you got to pony up two times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so murders in the room morgue from 1932 is a, a screen factory release. This is the, uh, yeah. Ghost, of course. Yeah. It's one of the uh, one of the Corman Poe movies, right? Uh, no, this is the one before that. This is the one about thirty years earlier. Oh, it was, it was remade as a Corman Poe film, but this is the nineteen thirty two version with Bela Lugosi from Universal Pictures. Oh, got it. Yeah, it was remade later, though. Yes, you're on the right track. But 
and they're doing their third volume of the Universal Horror Collection, which features Tower of London, Man-Made Monster, Black Cat, and Horror Island. It's another Screen Factory collection of those Universal Horror titles from the 40s. So we have those. And there's another there's a Pink Panther cartoon collection, another volume of those from Kino Lorber. These are, are covering the later 70s, the ones from the late 70s. And early 80s, uh, Remains of the Day has been issued by Sony, uh, reissued, I should say. I think it was a um, previously, I think Twilight Time might have, have, it, have issued it a while back, but it's out of print. And so that's now another on-demand title. If you order it, they print it, they press it there. And uh, White Squall is another one that they are oh, reissuing. Ridley Scott, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, exactly. And Mad Love with uh, uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So those are a couple, couple of titles there that are and Paradise from 1981, uh, 1991 rather, <laughs> from Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. It's another one of those touchstone titles, along with Heartbreak Hotel from 1988 with David Keith, where he plays Elvis. Remember? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> What's the one that you just said? The uh, Paradise. Paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Melanie Griffith and uh, Don Johnson. I remember playing that at the theater and people walking up and saying. I'd like two tickets to paradise. <laughs> <laughs> they were so pleased with themselves. Yeah. Eddie money would have been proud. What can I tell you? Uh, the recent documentary on, on Roy Cohn. Where's my Roy Cohn has been issued by Sony. That, and then we have a couple more releases on the Christmas Eve. We have uh, the recent Judy uh, biopic, the Judy Garland biopic. And really? Yeah. Oh, it's a quick, it's a quick turnaround. Yeah. Just a couple of months ago, it was out there in theaters, but uh, I don't know if there's going to be any Oscar love for this one or not, but. Um, I think there so maybe, probably would be for her. Yeah, I think so. She's good. At I, think she, that, she, uh, I think those kinds of transformative roles, they can transcend the quality of the actual movie. I mean, we've seen it time and time again, you know, the iron lady or what have you, but yeah, I think you're right. And we have one more title. This will be the last one, actually. And this is uh, A Sunday in the Country is a Kino Lorber release. Another Bertrand. Uh, it's the same guy. He directed that film uh, that we talked about last month with Gerard de Perdue that's escaping me right now. The um, But it's Bertrand Tavernier. Mm-hmm. It's a French film. The Round Midnight, uh, the round midnight guy. Yeah, that guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. That guy. Yep. This is uh this one has my, Michel Amont and Louis Ducreux in France before World War One, as every Sunday, an old painter living in the country is visited by his son and who comes with his wife and three children, and then his daughter Irene arrives, and that's where the trouble starts. Anyway, uh it's this is a pretty well reviewed film, and um like I said, Kino is getting around to releasing his his catalog, and so this is another one in that catalog, so Tell me, uh, we've got a special uh, interview episode tied into the Blue Report. Yes, we do. We we have an interview with Mr. Rich Whitley, the writer of the 1979 film Rock and Roll High School, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary edition last month. Shout Factory put a, out a terrific steelbook edition of Rock and Roll High School, which has a lot of new extras and um, Mr. Whitley is actually involved in some of those extras 
and he gave us some time, some of his time to talk about the film and, and another film he made that has not been issued on Blu-ray and I'm hoping it will be pandemonium from 1981, which was originally titled Thursday, the 12th until Saturday, the 14th was released and stole some of its thunder. Mm. And it stars one of the Tommy smothers and uh, uh, some other interesting people from that period that, and it was, it's fondly remembered from being on cable. Uh, I remember it anyway. And so, uh, yeah, he has some interesting stories. So we're excited to have a little chat with him where he can talk about these people. Uh, Tab Hunter was in pandemonium as well. And he had some interesting chats with Tab Hunter that, that well, he talks about as well. So yeah, good stuff. Good time. So be on the lookout yeah. for that. Yes, so it ties ties right into last month's release of that. So yes, and I do recommend that if you're a fan of Rock and Roll High School, definitely get it, or a fan of the Ramones. So there you are. 